today on EdgeFX. Think about hope in the same way that, say, you might think about courage, mm-hmm. meaning that I am terrified, I am afraid, I don't know what's going to happen, but I move forward with courage. Mm-hmm. Heather Swan, senior lecturer of English at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and author of the poetry collection A Kinship with Ash and Dandelion, and the nonfiction book Where Honeybees Thrive speaks with Nicole Brown, poet and author of Sister, Fanny Says, To Those Who Are Our First Gods, and The Donkey Elegies. They talk about animals, poetry, and finding hope through action. Hello, Nicole Brown. Thank you for coming and talking with us in Madison. Hello, hello. So good to have you here again. Thank Um, you. I was thinking that we could start with one of your poems. Sure, sure, sure. So um, I will uh, read a poem we were just talking about earlier. Uh, It's called A A Prayer to Talk to Animals, and it's from a chapbook called To Those Who Were Our First Gods. A prayer to talk to animals. Lord, I ain't asking to be the beast master Jim ripped in a jungle loincloth or a Dr. Doolittle or even the expensive vet down the street, that stethoscoped redhead, her diamond ring big as a crackerjack toy. All I want is for you to help me flip off this light box and its scroll of dread, to rip a tiny tear between this world and that, a slit in the veil, Lord, one of those old-fashioned peeping keyholes through which I can press my dumb lips and speak. If you will, Lord, make me the teeth hot in the mouth of a raccoon scraping the junk I scraped from last night's plates, Make me the blue eye of that young crow cocked to me, too selfish to even look up from the flash of my damn phone. Oh, forgive me, Lord, how human I've become, busy clicking what I like, busy pushing my cuticles back and back to expose all ten pale, useless moons. Would you let me tell your creatures how sorry I am. Let them know exactly what we've done. Am I not an animal, too? If so, Lord, make me one again. Give me back my dirty claws and blood-warm horns. Braid back those long, frayed strands of every nerve tingling with all I thought I had to do today. Fork my tongue, Lord. There is a sorrow on the air I taste but cannot name. I want to open my mouth and know the exact flavor of what's to come. I want to open my mouth and sound a language that calls all language home. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for reading it. Of course. So there's so much in that poem that I want to talk to you about today. One of the things that um, I want to say for anyone that isn't familiar with your work is that for, you've been writing for a very long time. You've been writing poetry for a long time. (laughs) But in the last, uh, for your last several books, you've Mm -hmm. been really focused on what you call the more than human 
mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with animals. I know that sure. you work in an animal sanctuary, uh, and and she spends a lot of time cuddling up with goats and. I mean, let's be honest. I'm, I'm scooping poop. That she's scooping poop, <laughs> I'm okay but snuggling that. with pigs as well. <laughs> um, talk to talk to us about how that love affair happened. Yeah. So um, m- most of my career uh, as a writer, I was uh, sorting through the detritus of my life. Um, I grew up in Kentucky. And like a lot of people, uh, my first poems were really sorting through my earliest years. My first book uh, is a book called Sister. They're epistolary poems in which I'm speaking to my younger sister about how we grew up and why things were the way they were. My second book was about my tough-as-new-rope, mean-ass grandmother, Fanny, and it's a biography in poems. And what happened in 2016 um, was that I, uh, I had this, this, this change in, in heart in, in a lot of different ways. A lot of that had to do with a move to Asheville, North Carolina, which is a lushly green and welcoming place. It's just alive with all kinds of life. There are black bears that come through the yard on a regular basis. And also, I, 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 I took a, a look at where I was in my life, assessed how much time I had left, and decided I would consign myself to joy. And nothing brings me more joy than to be among animals. And so I started volunteering. I started volunteering at a farm sanctuary. I lent a hand uh, at an equine therapy place when I could. Uh, I also started to, to go out and, and help out when I could um, at, a, at a wildlife rehabilitation center. And I, I wanted to find a way to write about the more-than-human world, the non-human world, the other, because I was tired of us. I was tired of my story. I was tired of the human story. And I also feel like what happened to me was that every time I would step foot in the woods and I would see a, a creature that I loved that I didn't know before, I realized that they were in peril. Mm-hmm. as is most of animal life mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. insect life too, mm-hmm. plant life, all of it. And um, I, I, I wanted to try to find a way to, to, to turn my gaze that way and, mm-hmm. and, and not just speak about them but speak for them. So it's a really complicated um, question. It's a long answer. <laughs> no, it's a wonderful answer. <laughs> Um, no, it's a it's a complicated uh, challenge, right? To to write about this more than human being, um, and I feel like it's it's really been interesting uh, thinking with you about what it means to be writing writing with mm-hmm. uh, these these beings rather than about um, rather than using them only as symbols and only as objects instead to be using them not actually using them but to 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 be 
writing, as you said, for them. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it would be neat for people to hear about the call that you just had for, um, for a journal. And I'll let you explain sure. it. Um, but because I think that one of the things that happened in that call is you were asking writers to attempt to do something that they haven't necessarily done before. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about what you would like well, writers to be doing? The reason that I'm in Madison right now is that I'm making my way to Black Earth. I'm a part of the, the Black Earth Institute. And um, as part of that three-year fellowship, uh, one of the uh, responsibilities is to edit an issue of their journal, which is called About Place. And I partnered up with a wonderful uh, poet named Erin Hallowell, who is an Alaskan poet. And she, she feels about animals the same way mm-hmm. I do. Um, we will nerd out for hours um, about such things. And, and I think we both have an abiding love for plants and animals and insects, for all creatures, great and small. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Aaron and I uh, were talking about was that um, there there were things that that bothered us about the way that a lot of people write about animals, and I think it reflects much of Western colonial history mm-hmm. in that the the representation of non-human life in literature parallels the treatment of those beings in real life, mm-hmm. meaning that we've used these beings just as we've seen fit, which is generally for profit Mm -hmm. and for consumption. Mm -hmm. And in literature, this means that they're generally parceled out in like-minded ways. They're used as metaphors for how we feel. You know, they're simplified into symbols, right? They're anthropomorphized into these cartoon-like replicas of ourselves, um, or else they're just props, they're, they're two-dimensional, they're background figures, they're denied their own sentience and emotion. And what Aaron and I wanted was a call for a collection of voices that attempted to remedy that. And there are a lot of different approaches, but essentially what we were looking for was work that decentered the human story. You know, so you, you abandon that typical, you know, point of view where we come first and our story is first to say, who are you? What are you trying to say to me? Are you trying to say anything to me? But what are you trying to say? Mm-hmm. Can I pay deep attention to you? And what what can I learn? And the response we got was phenomenal. And we were a little worried. You know, when, when we wrote up the call, um, we didn't, we didn't know if we would get many submissions. Sure. And boy, submittable just was just, it was a little overwhelming there for a minute. We got in about 930, uh, uh, submissions, which was so, it just, filled me up and I was exhausted, but I was filled up in this beautiful way to see how many people wanted that and wanted to try that and did so in a successful way. And and I think it has to do with, 
there's so many of us right now, we see the world climate changed. Mm -hmm. We see how it's overdeveloped and we recognize the, the suffering and how many lives are in peril, both human and not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, it was wonderful. It really was. I, I it, the the issue uh, just came out, and and I'm I'm so very proud of all those voices, and I and I feel as if not just poets, but but fiction writers, essayists, visual artists, musicians coming together to speak mm -hmm. for what's happening mm -hmm. right now. It it is a it's a really terrifying bad. time mm -hmm. to be aware of what's happening. It is one of the things that I think is simultaneously happening. Um, right now is that there's so much science and mm -hmm. um, discovery about new kinds of intelligence. Yeah. So the, you know, the idea that we've been using a human rubric kind of to understand the intelligence of another being has limited us in our, our exploration and understanding and compassion. And I feel like one of the things that has been interesting to me about um, getting to know you and your work is that you're you're really a science nerd too. I mean, you really. So are you? Well, <laughs> maybe that's why I noticed it. Did we not talk about spiders for half an hour this <laughs> yeah. afternoon? But I think it's fascinating that it, it it that's part of what comes in when you're thinking about speaking for the non-human. I think one of the challenges is how do we speak for something that we we don't really understand, right? We don't really ever understand what it's like to be a honeybee or a bumblebee or a, a cicada, right? Mm -hmm. um, and which are really, you know, or an octopus or, I mean, we can go on and on. Um, but I think that you've really been doing this work to try to, you know, to get yeah. to know the animal. And part of it is your, we talked a little bit yesterday about not only doing the research, but also just sitting with animals and, and observing them. Do you want to talk a little bit about sure. your experience of, you were saying a little bit about quieting yourself when you're with an animal. So could, mm. maybe you could talk about sure, what sure. your experience with animals. Well, and let me preface by saying, you know, how do any of us write about anything? Yeah. How do any of us write about our own mothers or fathers or children or... The world is deeply complicated and language is so limiting, mm. but sometimes it's all we have. So there you go, right? And I think that that's really important in, in terms of giving yourself permission to say, you know what, I might get this wrong. I probably will get this wrong, but it's what I have to do. Mm -hmm. It's what I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't try, well, then where does it go, mm -hmm. you know? So I do think that's important because a lot of times people, and, and me included, I mean, and it's important to know I didn't step foot in the woods until I was 40 years old. Mm -hmm. I was told not to. That's not just not where girls go. Mm -hmm. It's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so, but when I did, I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is amazing. 
We can, can have a whole extra podcast yeah, just about yeah. the fact can, that can, you, you couldn't know. go in the woods. Yeah. Can, yeah. can I write about this? And, and mm-hmm. I had to give myself permission because I thought, I'm not a nature poet. Mm. I'm not an eco-poet. Who do you think you are? Mm. You know, go, mm-hmm. go back to what you know. Mm. Go back. And, but I, I just kept fa- feeling myself completely drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Now that said, one of the things that, that, I found really important is when I first started this, I do what I always do. I love research. <laughs> I love it. I ordered book after book after book after book about animals, like mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of books. And I was, I was gobbling them up and I was trying the poems and the poems were just falling flat on their faces. They mm-hmm. were so boring. Mm-hmm. Because it really what I was doing was filling up my brain and then inting my brain into the page. And poems come not from just the brain, but from the body. Yeah. And I had to come into my body and be there among the animals with them. And then that's when things started to change. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that it's, a, it's an important practice for all of us, no matter what topic you're writing, but it, it moves the animal from the idea that you have of them. Even if you scroll all day on Instagram, looking at animal videos, which I am prone to do, <laughs> um, but that's still not, you, you're still not smelling them. Yeah. They're not nipping at you and stepping on your toes and pulling on your hair and driving you crazy and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're not in the barn, in the field, in the river, wherever that is, to actually sense their energy and to to, to feel that in your own body. And then that, for me at least, I had to scoop poo for a good six or seven months before I think I began to understand it enough and I was like, oh, 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 there you are. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Because my body then began to recognize it too was an animal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then as an animal, then I could start to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe not always perfectly well, but Mm -hmm. I could at least speak. Mm -hmm. I I had those words and Mm -hmm. they they weren't... um, just concocted mm-hmm. in my brain. Right. That's great. Maybe we could hear one of your donkey poems. Would you like to oh, read a, sure. a donkey poem? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I have a, uh, a chapbook called The Donkey Elegies, and um, I do love donkeys with all of my heart. I love donkeys. Yesterday, I saw Nicole with a donkey, and um, the donkey was <laughs> very lovely to her, but a goat that she was meeting decided that since she didn't have a hat on <laughs> that she might be something yummy to eat because she has long curly hair. Let's, that let's, let's, let's be honest. My, my, my hair looks like hay. <laughs> but what was astonishing to me was that the goat took, I, it was a very generous chunk of hair <laughs> out of Nicole's head. And I was thinking that anyone else that would have experienced this would have been, screaming or crying or angry and immediately she was just like oh yeah I'm, yep that happens all the time 
so sorry. I mean, I should have had a hat on. Apologizing to the goat for the, the, <laughs> the unsatisfying meal. <laughs> ah, anyway, so yeah. back to the donkeys. Well, and the best part was looking at the goat and seeing all the curls kind of just sticking out of his lips. And it was really It, it was, it was really impressive. Kind of it was impressive, yeah. <laughs> so, but it does happen. And, and it's, it's important, too, because we have this tendency to think of animals as either majestic and beautiful or cute. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when they step out of those easy-to-digest paradigms, we don't want them anymore. And they misbehave all the time, whatever we, how we think of misbehaving. Yeah. They're doing what goats do. Right. And the, and the other thing that was really interesting when I was thinking of myself about animals is that for a long time, I think when I was younger, I kind of thought that like one owl was all owls. And then I, I've had experiences that have showed me, oh no, they're individuals. These are oh, all individuals. Absolutely. And so, and we saw that yesterday with the goats. Uh, oh, there were some that were. Absolutely. Because we were at a, a sanctuary different. that I didn't know. We Was Heartland? Heartland Farm Sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. It was a wonderful place. And it, of course, we had to lean in on our guide to say, like, mm-hmm. okay, like tell. And, and it, that happened to me when I'm in Animal Haven of Asheville. I. We, it, I and the other volunteers, we we know those animals well, and it 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 threw me off when I first came there because I didn't understand like, well, why are the sheep named? Mm-hmm. Aren't all sheep the same? Mm-hmm. No, they are not. No, they are not. We know that Kevin is problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> oh. So, but uh, yeah, all right. Well, let's so, hear a poem. Sure, sure. This is from the Donkey Elegies. Great. Ears like sugar scoops. Ears like hands cupped to cradle a cool drink from the creek. Ears like single petals of dahlias at full bloom, curled firmly upright, but always soft, always open. Furred periscopes, one pivots to the wheezing scream of a squirrel above, and I follow, here as if for the first time that common arboreal cry, neither chirp nor growl, but something in between, like the caw of a mother blue jay, stoked by the teeth of an old yard dog. Your other ear, blessed as I am, rotates towards me, sweet apricots, velvet satellites, the twin souls atop the head of every donkey. That's just about their ears. Oh, my goodness. So, so beautiful. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Thank you. That's lovely. So um, I just want to shift a little bit. I'm, I, I know that you are planning something really exciting, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I guess I, I have a question about... Um, about why poetry right mm. now. Um, I've heard you talk about sort of wanting to create a, a community of poets in this particular moment. And I feel like, so I teach environmental humanities courses and think about mm-hmm. what it means to be in this field right now and what role artists and writers and poets have. And so I'm curious what what poetry does uh with language that's different for you than some of the other forms that we could choose from i feel like 
it's something that I think about a lot because I'm, you know, I teach an ego poetry class. And when I, when I'm, when I'm teaching, it's a lot of times, you know, students from all over campus who, who maybe don't read poetry ever. And I'm always astonished at this sort of, this magic that happens when people start reading poetry together and talking about poetry. And I mean, in anybody, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's uh, someone from computer science or a math, you know, a mathematician, um, it's really, in an, and so I'm just curious to hear mm-hmm. from you what you think poetry is doing right now. Uh, well, let me, let me say first, we need all of us. Of course. So of no course. matter the, no matter the genre, all of us, yeah. all of us. Um, for me, at least, poetry can hold smaller pieces, meaning that if you have a narrative that doesn't make sense, which is, I think, the story <laughs> of our time. Absolutely, yeah. If you have something that is broken or that doesn't have a through line or you can't quite explain it, poetry and all of that white space and all of its forgiveness to say, just, just write down what it is that you're witnessing. You don't have to explain it. It doesn't have to make sense. It's okay. Just write it down. There, there's, there's a softness around poetry that I've always loved. Mm. A lot of nonfiction will sometimes demand of you explanation mm. or proof, mm-hmm. facts. Mm. Fiction, of course, is asking for a plot. Mm. Poetry, I think, is asking for awareness. Mm -hmm. Did you notice? And what did you notice? And even if it is so small, so small, three seconds from your day, something that you notice, something that you just don't want to put down or let go. And you don't know why it's there, but it's there. And okay, maybe it can just be a poem. Not just, but maybe it is a poem. And I do think too, for me, at least, when you're writing poems and you, you, you're putting into the world these, these, these little bits and pieces, it requires of you a certain kind of practice of awareness, of paying attention. Mm. And to me, when I think about the predicament that we're in, not only just with our technology, but with the call, C-A-U-L, the call of despair Mm -hmm. over us, that turning away and, 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 and becoming apathetic is one of our dangers. Yeah. Tremendous dangers, and it's and we're invited every time we pick up our phone. There's Absolutely, nineteen things for us to look at so Absolutely. that we don't have to yeah. think or feel. Yeah, yeah. And, but I, you know, I tell writers that I work with all the time, poets that I work with all the time. I'm like, your work is paying attention. Mm-hmm. Are you a noticer? What did you notice today? Mm-hmm. Don't stop noticing. Don't stop paying attention, even if it is painful. Or even if it is boring and mundane, you have to to stay. Mm-hmm. You have to stay. You have to bear witness. And that, to me, is what poems can do. And then there's the, 
way in which poems can live on the air and in the ear as song. Hmm. Poems, depending on their length, can be palm-sized, as in a psalm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. you can carry it in your pocket, you can look at it, you can. You got five minutes on the train, mm-hmm. whatever, and it can enter you and live in that way. Mm-hmm. So it can fit into the cracks of your life mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and there's so there, that's another you're talking about another podcast. We could talk about it all day long, but there are po- there are things that poems can do. And if you notice, everyone talks about this. What do you read at a wedding? <laughs> a poem. What do you read at a funeral? Mm-hmm. A poem. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a uh, a form for intense situations, for ritual, for the binding together of people, and Something else that I think is really important during this sixth mass extinction that we're in um, that allows for grief. Yeah. That can hold the weight of grief, which um, we we are in for. I think, you know, one of the things that I find for people who, you know, enter my class sort of without ever having read poetry before is that 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 aspect, um, that little uh that space that's held momentarily for you to pause and Mm -hmm. feel something Mm -hmm. to actually have a space for that grief i think is so important in this moment when i feel like we're so inundated constantly with so much information that there's no chance to feel and so Mm -hmm. i think that in some ways the the space for elegy is so important right now for the health of the yes the emotional being you know um absolutely and yet, and, and the other piece is wonder, you know, that what, what often mm-hmm. happens with paying attention is that you return to wonder. And I think that there's that line that, that Kimmerer has about, um, first it's attention, then it's intention, then it's action. And mm-hmm. I think that there's this, this incredible thing about asking people to just pause and notice, like you said. And even someone that has never read poetry can, can feel that and can, can experience that, yeah. which is just incredible. Um, and I think that in part, part of, I guess maybe I, it was, you know, my sense is that while we have people who are studying, you know, they're studying the atmosphere or they're studying the, the rocks or they're studying, you know, watersheds, and many of the students that I have are, are doing this work, but to, to find a place so that they can emote for a minute about it, where they yes. can, uh, and I feel like poetry is actually this little, I often think too that poetry is a lot forgive this honeybee metaphor, but <laughs> I think of poetry as like honey compared to prose, which is like a whole meadow filled with fe- with flowers, right? Mm-hmm. But the honey is a distillation of all of that into just this little tiny, yeah, very sometimes... And you know probably more than most people how hard an individual bee has oh to my. work for <laughs> yes, <laughs> a drop. Right. Yeah, of honey, and and I I do keep that in mind when some of these poems of mine, I'm like, I've been working on this for three yeah. years, right, right, <laughs> you know? yeah. And on the page, it's like three pages long, tops. So, yeah. Well, I think yeah. it's really important that you're doing the work that you're doing, and I and I think that what's incredible is that you you're a dedicated writer, you're a dedicated teacher, but now mm-hmm. you're going to be running 
a conference, right? <laughs> yes. a, an eco-poetry conference. And the yes. title of it is The Hellbender mm-hmm. The Hellbender Gathering, Gathering of Poets. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's so badass. Can I say that on the air? Um, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It sounds like a motorcycle you know, gang gathering or something like that, right? (laughs) Um, Tell us about Hellbender. Why? Sure. Well, I should say, first of all, Hellbender is the uh, reiteration of what was the Palm Beach Poetry Festival that was founded by an incredible man named Miles Kuhn. And uh, Miles has passed on, but before he did, he reached out to me and asked me to run the Palm Beach Poetry Festival. And he had just this deep and abiding love for poetry. He was like none other. I and many, many people just absolutely adored Miles. And we had a lot of talks uh, before he passed, and he invited me to re-envision his festival that he had run for 20 years and and re-envision in a way in which... I could could take it on and make it into something that filled me. And Miles was smart. I think he realized how much work it would be. <laughs> so he's yeah. like, you know, make it into something you really want, kid. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, nothing was more important than 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 speaking about what is happening to our planet. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to hold true to the idea of it being a poetry festival a top-notch poetry festival in the way that that Miles always ran the Palm Beach Poetry Festival, but I would turn it into an environmental poetry festival. And um, I also am moving it. It's going from South Florida to Black Mountain, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. which is right outside of Asheville. And the Hellbender, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, a Hellbender is a uh, giant salamander, Mm-hmm. There is no salamander that rivals in size except for <laughs> one in Japan. Mm. And it's, uh, it's, it's an Appalachian salamander and it lives in the waterways of the mountains. Mm. And they're amazing. They're very bendy. <laughs> they are our last dragons in some ways. They're extraordinary looking if you can look up photos of them. And they're also an indicator species. So when you have water that has agricultural runoff, when you have um, water that is the wrong temperature, all of the things that could happen when you have tourists, bless their hearts, when they get in the waters in North Carolina and they move the rocks around and make their cairns, they don't mean any harm, but they're all—they're killing the—they're—they're they're killing these salamanders. Mm. So, so they die very easily, and mm. and they indicate to you if you have a healthy ecosystem. And of course, like so many other creatures, they're dwindling. And yes, I wanted it to sound a little bit like a motorcycle rally, but I also wanted something that spoke to the place, to the mountains, to Western North Carolina. But also that that turns an eye to 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 what's happening. Yeah, the intense fragility, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, amazing. So, 
I think it's so exciting. Um, and I know that you will soon um, be sharing with the world all the wonderful poets that are already lined Thank up you. for that. And, I'm very uh, excited. I can't wait. Um, that will be an amazing experience. I feel like I'd love to end uh, on something that maybe I feel like I'm asked this question myself all mm. the time. And it's something that it's it's a it's actually a controversial topic and and that is we're in this dire moment as you have just said um and all of us kind of know that i think and many people feel that we're in an apocalyptic moment but where do you find hope mm. what is hope to you it's a good question and it's interesting when I had the board together for the Hellbender Gathering of Poets, I wanted the word hope in the mission statement. Mm. And it made for some long and difficult conversations That's with the right. board members. Yeah. But I, I, oh, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't let it go. Mm -hmm. I can't let it go. Um, one of the things I found the most helpful during this time is to Think about hope in the same way that, say, you might think about courage, mm -hmm. meaning that I am terrified. I am afraid. I don't know what's going to happen, but I move forward with courage, mm -hmm. right? So it's something that you do, but not necessarily something that you feel. I think that if you think of hope as something that propels you forward in a time of despair, in a time of hopelessness, then it, then it changes. One of the best examples I have had of hope is from Animal Haven of Asheville. It, because I have seen time after time after time where an animal will show up, and we know for a fact that that animal is not going to make it. We just know. They're riddled with worms. They're they're weak. They're they haven't gotten the proper nutrition. They've been neglected, abused, all of the above, right? Mm -hmm. But but and and I've seen it so many times. What happens? Okay, we bring in the animal. We make sure they're comfortable. We give them food. We give them water, shelter, medicine everything we possibly can up until the moment when either they die on their own or unfortunately they that vet will come in and euthanize them which is not something that we like to do at all but it it it's, that sounds a little bit like love it's a lot like love it's a lot like you're gonna make me cry <laughs> dang it <laughs> um but it's it's making Hope into a verb, I think. Um, there's this uh, this fantastic book um, by Rebecca Solnit yep. uh, called Hope in the Dark. Mm -hmm. And uh, the subtitle is Untold Histories, Wild Possibilities. It came out in 2004, which seems like a long time ago now. Um, but Rebecca makes the case for hope as a verb. And, and, and maybe I'll end, I'll share with you this quote here from Rebecca. And she says, hope is not a lottery ticket you can sit on the sofa and clutch 
feeling lucky. It is an axe you break down doors with in an emergency. Hope should shove you out the door because it will take everything you have to steer the future away from endless war, from the annihilation of the earth's treasures and the grinding down of the poor and marginal. To hope is to give yourself to the future. To hope is to give yourself to the future. And that commitment to the future is what makes the present inhabitable. And I love that quote. I love that too. It's kind of long to tattoo on my body, but I have <laughs> thought of it. Because this idea that just like, it, it, it muscles mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes I think when we think of hope as like this passive emotion like oh i kind of hope but no i hope yeah and i will step forward with with love and with action even when i'm exhausted so and you do over and over again nicole brown (laughs) it's been really really fantastic talking to you today thank you so much for being here and for sharing your ideas with the Edifax audience. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was Heather Swan in conversation with Nicole Brown. You've been listening to Edifax, a production of CHE, the Center for Culture, History, and Environment in the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by me, Rudy Molinek. The music you're hearing is by Julian Lynch. You can get all of our episodes sent straight to your computer or mobile device by subscribing to EdgeFX wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review, or tell a friend about it. That really helps connect us with new listeners. You can follow us on Instagram at EdgeFXMag, or find us online at edgefx.net.